0: The Halo universe is filled with wonder, mystery, and fascinating discoveries around every corner. With so much to explore, four friends decided it was about time that they boot up their consoles and discuss this universe that has grabbed their attention since childhood. Jumperscape audio kindly welcomes you to join them in the library.
1: Buddy, welcome back to the library. A good old fashioned conversation and chat about Halo lore, trying to figure out how things make sense if they ever did to begin with. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Austin, and I'm also joined by my good pals, James, Bryant, and Shane. How are you guys doing today? Hello, I am
0: fantastic on this fine su- Sunday evening. Wow, I'm fine, but we lost an hour of sleep and I'm tired.
1: Doing wonderful. That's so cool. Wow, what good friends! Wow. So today we're, <laughs> we're talking about uh, forerunners uh, because forerunners were the logical next step after precursors. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, how much do you guys know about forerunners, though? How like I like how majority?
0: Much? Majority of my knowledge about the forerunners came from Halo Four facts. So anything from Halo Four is basically what I know. Even there's so there's still some gray
2: spots about them. You're gonna know. So yeah. today. I also know things about them from Halo Four, but I didn't learn them until very recently because apparently I didn't pay attention at all when playing the game. No. Imagine.
1: It, it, it was the it was the gameplay. It was so alluring and so good. That it's yeah, yeah, right
2: <laughs> exactly. I was so
1: enamored by shooting. I just loved sliding on n- everything. <laughs> on everything. Dude, sprint feels so weird in Halo 4. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm still so convinced that we had ice skates on. <laughs> and that's really what was going down. That, that dude that uh, oils up all of the floors in COD so you can slide on everything, he worked overtime on Halo 4. <laughs> uh, his, his stair
2: polishing. Business must be booming. Man,
1: I don't know how he does it, man. It's straight up like that is physics-defying oil slick right there. Anyway, so forerunners. Major reason why we're going into it is because last time we did precursors, and who did the precursors make kids?
2: Um, oh, forerunners, are the covenants.
1: All of you are
2: correct.
1: (laughs) So, forerunners, uh, to put it simply, they are kind of self-centered rats, but also somewhat justified in being self-centered rats because of how quickly they wanted to take over everything so that they could protect everything. It's very Empire of them. So, pretty much... I mean without the ill intentions for everything in the galaxy. So Forerunners were well I mean, pretty much they named themselves in a way. I mentioned that last week, and that's because it's just pretty much true. They they had named themselves uh pretty much the Forerunners meaning, like the meaning behind it is firstborn. So Ah. That's, that was gonna be my next question. Yeah. Why did they choose that name? Yeah. So firstborn, so they're kind of like we're better than humans because we were made first. It's kind of a Cain kills Abel kind of thing. They definitely have oldest child energy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so funny considering how somewhat. I mean, it might wait, be the wait, appearance wait, wait. Backtrack, of the oldest child. wait. They have what energy? Oldest child energy. Ah, oh, that's a lot better than
0: what I thought you said. <laughs> for whatever reason, Uh-oh. I What swear, did you think I said? For for whatever reason, this is gonna be. F- hilarious. I thought for sure you said homeless child
1: energy. No.
0: I mean, I'm not, com, not
1: completely I'm incorrect. Like, I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? Forerunners, they do definitely be carrying homeless child energy.
0: Oh my god.
1: Oh, that was so funny. I sat there and I'm like,
0: my, mouth, my jaw hanging wide freaking open. I'm like, oh my god, uh, James. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Holy shoot, that was funny. We get a little out of pocket here. <laughs> we, do we like leaning. to have fun here on the show.
1: We get a we get a little quirky from time to time. Uh, okay, man. What? (laughs) So, uh, Forerunners Forerunners were a a recent thing, though, definitely. 15 million years ago, the precursors (laughs) (laughs) created Forerunners. Just happened. So recently. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. (laughs) And they were made pretty much at the same time as humanity, but of course Forerunners are a little bit pompous. They're like, no, no, firstborn. Uh, Uh, and pretty quickly they sort of spread themselves all throughout the Milky Way galaxy, and uh, when I say they spread pretty much everywhere, I mean according to how I remember it, uh, and I'll confirm this real quick just to make sure that I'm going to say this correctly, but yeah 3 million habitable worlds were in their control That's a lot. That's a lot That's pretty much Rookie numbers. half of the galaxy, pretty much uh, they they were aiming for the entirety of the Milky Way. <laughs> but, um, it, the Maythrillin. Uh, last week I had said that they had this capital city called the Ecumen, but I was wrong about that technically, because the Ecumene is not the capital. The Ecumen is the name of their empire. So the Forerunner Empire was called the Ecumen. And the center of that was the May Thrillen, the capital city. The one that looks like kind of like a spiral staircase sort of thing but it's all habitable plates basically. So if you took the the halo rings, stretched them a little bit and then made them giant circles that are just flat and then kind of uh, staircased them, that's what the city looked like and it was really cool. <laughs> the Forerunner pancake stack. Yes! And the blood <laughs> from their city getting annihilated was the syrup. <laughs> oh no. That, okay, makes sense. but we'll get there in a second. <laughs> oh wait, there's more. Uh, so the forerunners, once they had effectively annihilated their creators because you know they're reasonable and can protect the galaxy with a calm, collected mind. <laughs> um, they had assumed, first of all, the understanding of the mantle of responsibility and the understanding of living time. And the mantle of responsibility, usually just called the mantle, Was this, it was kind of a, a martial plan, but also something that was heavily religious and benevolent, more of like a, like a take care of the galaxy sort of thing. Uh, if you have ultimate power, then it is your responsibility to protect whatever it is that is within your control. So they would do their best to protect and preserve the planets within their acumen, basically. Um, According to Halopedia here, the core tenet of the Forerunner's belief in the mantle was that the most developed species should hold stewardship over all life. So, it's sort of, uh... It's it's sort of accurate to what the mantle is supposed to be, but it's not entirely because they would personally determine whether or not they were the most developed species. So it didn't matter if the humans had figured something out that was better than them because the forerunners were clearly superior by their own opinion. <laughs> yeah. And you also, like, the humans sort of decided that as well, right? That they had the mantle and... They didn't decide. The The precursor said you have it. And they're like, oh, okay. Ah, okay. that makes sense. Then. <laughs> yeah, humans were not very pompous. Uh, they, they didn't really consider themselves to be better than anything. They mostly preserved themselves for the sake of preserving themselves. They had never really been. What happened, man?
0: complete complete opposite energy these days yeah
1: humans were at that time and at the time of halo were very much united in a major way like aside from halo's insurrectionists humans are more united than they've ever been i think one of my favorite pieces of little bits of lore that you can kind of just catch while you're reading and all that um there's some lore about the ODSTs, for example, the Orbital Drop Shock Troopers, the Special Forces unit, and they their their training happens on Earth more often than not, and the place is very specific as to where they train. They train on Earth in United Korea, so South and North Korea at some point oh, in wow. Halo history figured out their differences and united. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, stuff like that is just like, oh, okay, so they really did just figure out their problems. <laughs> so United Korea. Yeah, uh, and it's actually a pretty, pretty well. Uh, what is it? The thing. What is the word that I'm looking for? Uh, well established relationship. So nice. yeah, it happened like in Halo lore, I think 400 years ago. So in the 2100s, that happened. So it's humanity has had the history of. Pretty much always putting, while they will put themselves above other things, they will also spend much more time trying to care for the the things that they take advantage of. Basically, you can kind yeah. of see it now, especially with how much we focus on preserving the planet and preserving creatures, and you know creatures that would have gone extinct without us are being preserved. Um, that sort of thing. Of course, there's trade offs with all of that, but. Humanity is represented in Halo lore to be very much not self-centered, but self-preserving, so then they can continue to be stewards of whatever part of the galaxy they happen to inhabit. Not all humans are the same, but for the most part, the government, UEG, UNSC, not O&I completely, but <laughs> they all have this, uh, this consistent mission in mind to be like, okay, we have this much power, what can we do with it? Got a little sidetracked when they were starting to get absolutely annihilated, but they still were (laughs) doing their best. Um, Just a little sidetracked. Yeah. So, Forerunners didn't really have that, though. Forerunners were simply just, we are the best, thus we must be the ones that push everything and control everything. It was... It had good intentions, but every time that someone would stand up against them, they would just kind of consider them to be a threat and fight them. (laughs) And the Forerunners... Their tech was well beyond most other species. The only ones that were really on par were humans, but Forerunners had more ships. They had... I mean, their lifespans were much longer. They could live thousands of years. Humans were stuck living only hundreds of years. So their their population was much, much more filled, I would say. It was just... The numbers were way off in terms of the fight. So... Yeah. Forerunners, because of how they're set up with thousands of years of age, though, uh, reproduction is a little bit interesting with them, because reproduction doesn't happen in the same way that humans do, where it's just, you know, mommy and daddy love very much, love each other very much, and here comes the stork with the baby. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> with, exactly how it happened. Exactly. With Forerunners, it's a little bit different, because when they, when they have a child, it's It's very strange. I don't exactly know all of the details about how offspring are made with forerunners, but their physiology is not like humans. So uh, I do know, though, when there is a new forerunner that is, you know, prepped and ready for the rest of their life, they start as a manipular. And the manipulars are pretty much lowest class. Uh, They're like tall, thin. They have specifically white fur on the top of their heads usually, and they look more human than anything else, but they're still, you know, they still got the flat nose thing going on <laughs> sort of mm-hmm. deal. Uh, but the point behind the manipular is the manipular is the first form that you take and then eventually... At some point, it's supposed to be your parents, but some other forerunner will imprint on you. They'll like give you their imprint, and slowly over the course of time, you basically become that forerunner. So you undergo multiple sur- uh, You a typical forerunner will go over multiple mutations over the course of their lifetime, but the the forerunners. Kind of had this setup, like probably one of the most famous examples of how mutation works was when the didact imprinted on another forerunner named uh, Bornstellar makes eternal lasting. Their no- their names are normal. Don't worry about it. Uh huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely not a mouthful. Every time you want to call on them in class, they usually just say Bornstellar. They say their first letter, the first word of their name. Um. So the this is all I'm pulling right now from. Uh, the Forerunner trilogy of books, once again written by Greg Bear, finishing that series pretty soon. Uh, but Bornstellar, without going into too much of it, because there is a lot of lore behind how this all happened. But he came upon the Didact. Didact was like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "Me." Ah, oh, I am so glad you asked. I am Bornstellar, and he's like, "You are cringe." I am like, "Ah." Oh. So Didact <laughs> oh. didn't really like Bornstellar that much because Bornstellar was just a manipular because manipulars are seen to basically be the uh, forerunner equivalent of teenagers. They don't mm-hmm. quite understand anything, but they are actively pretending like they do. They do it much more. They yeah, basically, that's,
2: that's pretty much a teenager.
1: Yeah. But like with forerunners, forerunner manipulars are way worse because they believe themselves to be wiser beyond their years by like hundreds of years. So yeah. they pretend to understand everything. And Bornstaller is one of the only manipulars that I think we've ever seen that actively understood that he doesn't quite know everything. And it's made even worse whenever he's in the presence of the didact because the didact is actually thousands of years old. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But at some point during their adventure, didact is still he's got a little bit of a problem. We're going to go into him in a future episode to dive into him a little bit more. But he's currently a criminal in the eyes of the forerunners. And so he's trying to covertly understand what's happening with the Halo rings that were recently constructed at this time. And as he's doing that, he's realizing that when the Forerunners find him, he's going to need to find a way to continue his plans in the event that he gets captured. So he imprints onto Bornstellar by Bornstellar's uh, consent. And they had two humans with them. And in the second book, they had noted... Because the second book takes place from the perspective of one of the humans, that over the course of time, Bornsteller just started looking more and more like the Didact and eventually just looked exactly like him. And that's because he basically became him. I mentioned also last week that the librarian married, not like married, but considered Bornsteller, who then became the ISO Didact, as her husband because the Erdidact was gone. So it's not common for
2: the uh, manipular that is imprinted on to pretty much become whoever imprints on them. They're I, I guess it'd be more like a kid where they sort of have their own personality.
1: They at first have their own personality and then they eventually become that that figure. They have very little memory of who they were before. Uh, okay, so that is common. Yeah. In the third book, the didact, born stellar makes specific mentions of I often wonder what Stellar would think about this as if it's a separate personality so because you take on the memories of the the figure that imprinted upon you so you take on their memories, you take on their personality you take on their thoughts in a way and if these two figures ever talk to each other it's like they're talking to a mirror but since one of them will have changed more than the other one at the time, it's almost like like, in the case of Erdidact, talking to Isodidact. It's like the Erdidact is talking to a younger version of himself.
2: That makes it seem like it would be very hard for the um, uh, for the species to progress, like, ideologically. If it's just the same person constantly. Like, if they're just became,
1: becoming the some, same people. Ain't that interesting, since Forerunners never changed. <laughs> so, Forerunners kind of... That was, like, one of their main things was... Connectivity to their past, their attachment to ancestry and lessons learned from the past. Probably one of their better aspects of their society. Uh, last time I had mentioned about the domain, the domain, aside from it being precursor creation and all that, forerunners would use it as a memory bank uh, and would use it to preserve these sort of engrams of, of the foreigners that die. So. When a Forerunner dies in their armor, consciousness is uploaded to the domain, and at any point, anyone in that Forerunner's family can go and just have counsel with that Forerunner, basically, in the domain. It's wild, but it, uh, Forerunners just really, really have an attachment with figures who, they're kind of, I would say it's sort of comparable to Greek Society like ancient Greece, where their attachment to stories and figures who have gone and done incredible things and their desire to want to go and have adventures of their own is almost human like. But they as they get older, they stop having that urge for adventure and have a stronger urge for progression, basically. So, uh, Bornstellar, for example, he wanted to go out on an adventure, accidentally found the didact, realized he really messed up, and then he became the didact and stopped being interested in, in adventures. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, stuff like that just kind of happens. Uh, but, aside from the mutation thing, the mutations have a direct relation to things called rates, forms, sort of their examples of classes. Mm-hmm. So, rates... Uh, if I remember correctly, yeah, it's basically their caste system. Like, what is what is your field of work basically? What is your career? What is your life based upon? Pretty much. Um, Interesting. And so, like, let's say like this: uh, the Didax rate. He is a warrior, uh, more specifically a warrior servant at that time. But aside from that, he was also a Promethean. Prometheans were a rate; they were a class. So, Because Prometheans weren't always basically just imprints of human beings turned into little beetle things. They were actually warriors that were just so good. They were pretty much like the super soldiers of the Forerunner Empire.
2: That was something that (laughs) I noticed during the cutscenes in Halo 4, how when the, the librarian sees the Prometheans after he goes and and like kills all the humans. Yep. She's like, the
1: Prometheans. I was like, how do you know what they are already? Yep, Because they were a thing for a while and uh, the Didact had to he basically turned his army into Promethean uh, knights and all of that before he started infecting humans and doing that to them. Because the Composer could do whatever with that digital imprint, including turning them into warriors. But other uses for the Composer included making the monitors making... Pretty much anything else that has sentience to it, it used to be a living being. So, like three, four, three, kill the spark. He was once a human being. Ah. So, yeah, yeah the Pr- the Prometheans came about from there. Uh, let's say the librarian. Uh, her rate was life. Uh, what was it? It was life. I keep on forgetting life worker, but she was the only one to ever achieve the rate of life shaper, which is pretty much the person in charge of all the life workers. Uh, life shaper being the sort of representation of I can shape life to be grown however I wish because of my understanding of life. Interesting. She's the only person to ever get that. Is that said? the only forerunner that's ever achieved that? Yeah.
2: Huh. Imagine Imagine having a rank that only one person, only one being ever got.
1: Well, the Didact, did she have to create it? So did they like make up that rank for her or is it just something that no one was ever good enough for? Bring them out of nowhere. I don't exactly know where they inspire their names off of, but it's not just like, yeah, Life Shaper sounds like a cool idea. It's like (laughs) something it's usually their names are representative of something that is directly related. So Life Shaper, if you have that, that title, my best guess would be the reason behind it is you have the capacity and the knowledge to shape life rather than just preserve it so you're not just working with life you are quite literally shaping it um and if we go into let's say um let's say the didact the the didact is not just a fancy word it's also like an actual definition so didact is going to a didactic person, which is a person who is gifted or intending to instruct other people. So the didact would be the one that is instructing how to, like how to raise these armies. He would instruct others on how to gain wisdom, how to gain power, that sort of thing. Um, hence, why he was actually such a good trainer with uh, with Bornstellar. He he got that manipular from I am weak to. I am so good at fighting. <laughs> um, so that Idact was seen as sort of a we should learn from these lessons kind of figure. Because uh, his understanding of Forerunner history was beyond any other Forerunner in the High Council. So that's sort of his shtick. And then there's other smaller classes. Uh, there's Catalog. Not like you are a Catalog. You are one of the Catalog. Catalog is a is a rather rare rate, where if you become catalog, catalog is a it's a hive mind sort of thing. Your goal as catalog is to go along with other operations and stuff, connect to the juridical network, which is another rate. Juridicals they handle laws and judgments and all that; hence, juridical. Mm-hmm. Um, and catalog, their purpose is to basically catalog everything they see and wire it back to primary juridical networks and then juridicals use that as evidence as uh, reasons as historical marks that sort of thing
2: (laughs) i can see why they why he and the librarian would have been close
1: (laughs) yes uh so yeah they had a little bit of a they had a lot of problems with catalog and such and juridicals because especially since this was an interesting thing corruption was a huge problem with the forerunners Especially at the end of the empire, there was something really bad that was happening, and that was builders were becoming the highest rate. Uh, oh, because builders didn't the, the rates have a they have a caste system, like I said. So sometimes rates will take over and be a little bit higher than the others, and sometimes a lot higher. So during the time when humans and forerunners were at war, for example, warriors rose to the top class. Anything that forerunners did was ultimately decided by what the warriors wanted. And this is a flawed system because then you introduce class bias. So the builders, when the master builder found out that the flood was a thing and he's like, I got a plan to stop them for good. And the foreigners were like bro, that's so sick. We're going to hold you to the highest standard. And he's like, oh, I'm so glad (laughs) because now he and the other builders have control of the council basically by that point. Uh. (sighs) Ah But builders have a bit of a problem, and that is they really, really like being recognized for their work and making financial gain off of it. Ah. So what do the forerunners use for money? I honestly don't know what their currency is. Uh, it's not really talked about uh, that much. I'm
2: sure it's
1: buried somewhere in
0: Halo lore that there's what their currency is. Like, it's got to be Forerunner somewhere. Forerunner
1: bucks. Forerunner bucks. <laughs> they use crypto.
0: Forerunner bucks. Four bucks. <laughs> D- domain B-bucks. crypto. <laughs> Oh, no. This man said V-Bucks. We got to turn We got to stop. We got to go.
1: Uh, it, it, it's honestly entirely possible that their system was without currency, but it was operated maybe by status. Maybe it's a this for that type yeah, of deal. Like, you do trading this, I do that. For, yeah. yeah, more or less. Yeah, because the, the builders especially... They didn't really like. There was financial stuff involved with building rings and megastructures and all of that because they had to have some form of compensation to make it happen and the resources to do so. But it's never specified whether that resources meant money or if it just meant the materials needed to make it happen. Um, But they could shape pretty much anything into anything. So resources were very, very difficult to actually run out of, especially since they used stars to power most of their stuff. But. Uh, the builders pretty much they, they obviously they designed m- most of the Forerunner Empire and that included things like the Halos um, they didn't design the shield worlds but they did build the shield worlds because Didact designed the shield worlds to be like this is a better way to handle the flood we don't have to wipe out the galaxy guys come on uh, <laughs> But the builders built mostly everything else. And when the flood was becoming a big problem, builders had presented such nice sounding plans that eventually they took the they took the council, basically. They just they they took over everything in terms of how power was controlled. And that included the juridicals. The juridicals, who were supposed to be completely neutral on things, started to become corrupt. So then the builders would have like they would have the support of the builders so when the didact was presenting stuff that was like this is a bad idea the juridicals would be like well the builders said <laughs> <laughs> well they said it was a good idea so it's, that became a really big problem uh, and that was no no less seen with their leader the master builder um, which I'm pretty sure he has a name like a, like a name that's specified if I look at this a little bit man I loved that part <coughs> in the Lego movie I, I was waiting for Everything someone to make is that so joke. Because so... I, fig- I was surprised that it ha- hadn't happened yet because that joke was. I thought of it earlier, but you were on such a roll with some of the info. I
2: said, <laughs> I just until a
1: better time. <laughs> uh, Master Builder. I know he's in here. I saw it earlier. Let me just real quick hit that Control F vibe. Yeah. Faber. Yeah. That was his name Faber of Will and Might. I, I don't know how I didn't remember that because he's talked about it a lot in, this, in the third book. But. Uh, Faber had this kind of, uh, issue where he didn't like being wrong about anything. Uh, especially since he's the Master Builder, so he's not supposed to make mistakes, kind of at all. Uh, but he did. Um, it was, (laughs) it was weird. Uh, basically the Master Builder had this thing where he just really wanted to wipe out all life in the galaxy. In order to prevent the flood from uh, from wiping out everything, because I th- it could have been very easily a pride thing for the Forerunners, being like we can't let the Precursors win because you know last time we talked about the flood being Precursors. Um, mm-hmm. But the way that he had described it was it sa- it sounds very sugarcoated in a way. Galaxy sterilizing super weapons. <laughs> Bless Sorry. you. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, galaxy sterilizing super weapons that doesn't. Uh, explicitly say wipe out all life in the galaxy <laughs> it just says yeah. it'll sterilize it um but of course uh librarian didact they both were like yo you're talking about mass genocide here the didact specifically having a lot of passion for life because of how much of his soldiers were how many of his soldiers were wiped out in the various wars uh his own children included um librarian being like, I literally live for this. What are you doing? (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, they couldn't get the deriticals to sign off on anything, but the good news was the librarian managed to convince them to do conservation, which was basically... (laughs) This is the funniest part about it. Didact had planned for these shield worlds to be special because shield worlds were not only capable of preventing the flood from getting in, but they could house life because they're planets. So... If something were to go wrong with the flood, just throw all of these creatures and species onto the shield worlds. Boom! We don't have to worry about the flood problem anymore. And the builders were like, um, um, we can do that with our halos. And so the halos got terrestrial terrain on the inside so that they could put life that can be conserved. (laughs) So they just stole his idea, they were like, uh, yeah, we care about life too, uh, yeah. see? And then later they were like, and, and, we're gonna do that to the two arcs we made too, that make the rings. So not only will the rings preserve life, but the arcs will preserve life. Isn't that great? And the Dreadicals like, hmm, yeah, that is pretty nice actually. <laughs> that, is, that is pretty cool. Hey there,
0: Halo fans. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with our friends right after these messages.
2: Uh so quick question. Um when the halo rings get fired, does that wipe out life that's currently on the halo ring?
1: Uh that one is a little bit I would I would say no. I don't think that's actually really I would the, say that the, the, the anything on the ring lives. I no, I'm I'm thinking that it doesn't it, 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 that it wouldn't do that it's it's really hard to tell because we don't know ex- like all the details of what happens se- when the galaxy was wiped out right but we haven't
0: seen a fire the, the halo ring in any of the games the, yet, the reasonable
1: least. answer would be actually yes it probably does wipe out everything I because all of the creatures that were brought back after the rings fired were brought back from basically like stasis cells that were on the rings and on the arc and on other planets so while they were in stasis they're not technically alive they're just frozen in time so they aren't affected by the ring firing but to say that the ring has some sort of force field on it that that prevents this uh what was it called neural physics weapon from wiping them out that doesn't seem plausible especially since the halos are in range of each other so if it doesn't Hurt the creatures on the ring when it fires at point blank. The field eventually from the other halos will hit that ring eventually, <laughs> so it it likely would not be very possible for the for anything to survive that without them being in stasis. So, so okay, this actually just answered an a question I was having whenever I was going through the books.
2: So the shield worlds were created like in opposition to the rings.
1: Yeah. Because the Daidact like, really wanted wanted to have an answer that didn't involve wiping out the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, and in,
2: like in all the stories, when people discover the Shield Worlds, and they're like, "Oh, I don't understand what was going on. Like, why? What? What went wrong with their plan? Why didn't they do? Why didn't, weren't they on the Shield Worlds that they had these? That makes sense now because if their plan was just to kill everything with the Halo rings then they didn't plan on using the shield worlds to save themselves.
1: No, nothing was put on the the shield worlds really. Like th- there were some the the librarian did use them to preserve certain aspects of life. That's why you can still see them on worlds like Onyx and uh Requiem. Mhm. But obviously no humans were raised there, no forerunners were raised there. They just they were just used to preserve life that the librarian deemed necessary, which had to go with deemed necessary and not all of it because she just didn't have time to preserve all of it. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the, the builders were kind of just, they were really looking for their own glory the entire time, uh, to the degree that even warrior servants, uh, started to want that attention. So they turned because of marginalization, they turned over the course of a thousand years from warrior servants, at least some of them did, not all of them did this, but a lot of them switched from warrior servants to build their security. So, pretty much when the Flood came back and the Forerunners had to fight them again, there weren't any warriors to fight them. <laughs> uh, well, that's an issue. It was a big problem. <laughs> so, uh, the Forerunners very quickly lost a lot. Once the, for- once the Flood were discovered, they had already wiped out like a quarter of their empire. Uh, and this was after like 9,000 years of time between the human forerunner war, the last one. Uh, so like they had all this time to prepare, but they were too focused on, they were too focused on themselves and too focused on their own problems to worry about the fact the flood was coming back eventually. So, sentinels were made in hopes of bolstering forces because they couldn't be infected, all that stuff, but they're still fragile um they, uh, the their planetary systems just started getting am- annihilated just demolished uh even if they destroyed their own planets even if they created entire rows of planets that couldn't inhabit any life hopes that flood could stop them they quickly learned the flood has a method for pretty much everything because of how much collective knowledge is in there so for instance the librarian at one point goes with on a small Uh, a small endeavor to find out a precursor secret at the edge of the galaxy. Mm It's a space that pretty much no forerunner has ever gone. And when she's out there, they noted that there's a planet that they're flying by that looks like it has a massive cyst on it. And they, they look closer and it's pretty much like a mutated flood slash precursor mound. That's fifty kilometers rising off the surface of the planet. Oh my. Like fifty kilometers uh, high? Yeah. Huh. Oh. So have that to the <laughs> my nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah. So if we're talking about <laughs> how those the floods go from <laughs> planet to planet, they Excuse figure me. it out. They they know exactly how to do it. They will World War Z that crap. You know what does that mean? I mean, don't they eventually just start making their own like flesh ships? They though, do, basically. I mean, those yeah, those, those flood pods in Halo Three—that's basically an, exp- an extension of that idea. Um, but what I mean by World War Z and World War Z, in order to get to our titular characters, zombies would create piles in order to climb on top of each other and get higher. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um. So the flood would just create massive versions. I mean, we're talking like. Sometimes entire planets would turn into just a massive flood organism. So, was gross. Yeah, a flood, like a planet sized flood organism. Those are, at least in Bungie lore, those were called key mines, but I think key mines were downgraded for the 343 editions of this sort of stuff. But <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff about that about what makes a grave mind, what makes a key mind, that sort of thing. Supposedly, right now, Gravemind is the largest that it, that they can get, but it doesn't quite check out because they're still planet-sized flood species. So I sign off on Key Mind stuff just because I don't think they've had a solid answer for that yet in the book. Sounds cool. Yes, so planet-sized flood. Yeah, the Key Mind. Key Minds are rare because Flood have to actually like they need time to grow that big. They can spread very fast, but they take much longer to actually get to the point where they. Become massive because they need a lot of bio first of all But they also need a lot of time to mature in a way like high charity that took only What like two months for high charity to get completely enveloped by the grave mind But we don't know how long that grave mind was festering in the halo (laughs) so Stuff like that just gets really uh, really interesting but uh, at the time with the Halos and all that. Um, some of the Forerunners did survive firing of the Halo Array by getting out of the Array's range uh, because Installation zero zero the arc, is outside of the Halo range. It's so far outside of the galaxy. Oh, I yeah. did not realize that. Um The other arc, we don't talk about the other arc, the greater arc... The builders you know how I said that they're kind of stupid because of how pompous they are Uh uh-huh They originally planned the halos to be 30 kilometers in size Uh, But the problem was is that by being 30 kilometers in diameter they are fragile Yeah, (laughs) very easy to break uh, and hard to maneuver because believe it or not. They can fly like normal ships, but um, They don't just like float around so when you when you see them flying like in Halo Wars 2 and stuff That's all completely normal but huh. with 30 kilometer diameter halo rings, they ran into so many problems. Of oh, there's a planet coming up. How fast can we maneuver around it? Maneuver? <laughs> <laughs> just uh,
2: uh, just turn
1: sideways so that the halo ring like goes around it. It's it's so hard to do that. You need actual like dozens of faster than light engines to move that thing.
2: That'd be really funny just to see a halo ring like encircle a planet in order to go around it.
1: There actually was one moment in the second book, I think, that they actually did put like they uh, the didact moved a bunch of his warrior class ships onto the edge of this ring, and had them all turn on their faster than light engines to maneuver this ring so that this planet they were about to run into just went through the center of the ring. Nice. It, uh, it, I'm picturing in my head, and it's like if you were on the ring at that time, that must have looked so cool. But, uh. The that was like a big problem with that whole size thing, and so the the rings eventually were designed like they the thirty kilometer ones could eventually de- decrease their own size. They could just jettison pieces of the of the ring and turn into ten kilometers, just like normal rings. Mm-hmm. But too many of them were destroyed by that point. So the only thirty kilometer ring that still exists is Installation Zero Seven. Hang on. The rings are only 10 kilometers? In diameter, yeah. The loudest silence I've ever heard.
2: (laughs) They seem
1: bigger than that. I mean, they're smaller than planets. Wait, 10 kilometers? Is that what you said? Yeah, in diameter. Are you sure? I mean, that's what it says in the books. I could I could double check, but that's what I had seen. Please, they seem bigger than that. I don't know. I I'm.
0: They maybe seem in, rather may,
1: large. Maybe in width. I mean, and that's not in width, but in <laughs> with uh, like if we talk about Comet Evolved, first mission where you see the Pillar of Autumn flying towards it, that ring is significantly smaller than the planet next to it. That is a good point. Oh my bad! I forgot to add the extra zeros. Um, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, no way. Okay, 10 so, kilometers. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry. 10,000 kilometers, and then Jesus. the bigger <laughs> rings were 30,000 kilometers.
2: Okay. There yeah, you go. you said 30 kilometers. I was like, you, you were like, they wanted to make 30 kilometer rings. I was like, wow, that's a very small ring. And then you're like, yeah, the normal ones were 10. Um.
1: Yeah. So I just <laughs> forgot to add the extra zeros. But yeah, the 10th, like, ten ten thousand kilometer. I was rings. like, I'm
0: pretty sure the diameter of the ring is bigger than like your average metropolitan area.
2: Yeah, I, I was. I I as I was
1: like, my brain was filling in the thousand, and I wasn't saying thousand. <laughs> So it's yeah, like, what are you guys talking about? A subway Perfect. to the, the so other side big. of the ring? <laughs> you can drive from one side <laughs> to the other in about ten minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there and it's like, what do you guys mean? It's so big. I don't understand what you're talking about. I like, Depending, on I, <laughs> Depending on the traffic, wasn't saying thousand. Depending on the track. But uh, yeah, thirty thousand could de- <laughs> decrease to ten thousand. Um, but Installation 07 is the only one that is still thirty thousand kilometers in diameter, and also is one of th- that's one of the reasons why it has so many mysteries is because it's the oldest of the rings. Um because it was one of the only ones that, like the, the original rings were all 30,000. And then later they made the smaller arc that can make 10,000 kilometer diameter halos. And those are all the other ones. So well, then the forerunners suck at numbering things. Why is it zero seven? If it's the oldest one. Uh, so the numbers are mostly, if I remember correctly, the installations are sort of not like named by when they were created, but potentially by positioning, if I remember correctly. Oh, uh. um, Cause there's Zeta Halo, which, you know, Zeta is like the last uh character on the Greek alphabet. So mm-hmm. um why is it only installation zero seven that I'm looking at right now? That's not I want to look at all the other halo installations. There we are. Do 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 do. I'm just gonna look at that real quick. Uh just okay. to see. Yeah, there were 12 halos. Uh do 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 do. There was you yeah, only one of the original rings were had survived the Forerunner's final plan, which was zero seven and then later there were six more installations that were made of the lesser arc uh so that would be why the seventh the seventh installation of the twelve survived and then they just remade installation one two, three four five six <clears throat> Cause there was a massive, uh, here's here. We'll go, we'll use this as a way to go into the fall of the forerunner empire because there was a bit of a oopsie that happened. Um, Just a bit. that being they had that last week, we talked about the, the med arc level AI and mendicant bias deciding to be like, you know what? These forerunners are cringe. I don't know. I don't like my creators and the forerunners having to deal with that sort of irony, poetic justice mm-hmm. in a way, um, where their creation turns on them. Uh, basically mendicant bias had made an agreement with uh, primordial to be like yeah I'll pull up back home and I'll show them what for uh, the, the builders kind of noticed that out of nowhere uh, the, the halos were opening portals and portaling back to the Maythrillon the capital city and they're like well that's kind of weird we didn't tell them to do that it's kind of strange which halos can't open their own portals by the way that is entirely possible um But they lack the power to do so these days. Uh, The Ark provides all that power, though. So, like, the Ark still has plenty to do that with. But uh, they had other portal systems that were capable of taking all these rings wherever they needed to go. Hence why they're spread throughout the galaxy. And it only took them, like, I think a couple of years to get them all positioned. But... All of a sudden all these rings just start coming out and in the midst of a meeting that they were having in terms of what they were going to be doing with the flood they start noticing that hey uh, there's a bunch of rings just pulling up outside so we be worried about that hey they're starting to collect power in the center uh, of all of them uh, what's that about the builders are like um uh uh <laughs> and immediately when the builders notice that the halos are building up power they realize there's something really bad happening so uh the Forerunners all start just immediately deploying any of the ships that they currently have within range of the Maythrilan, and Forerunner split, slip space travel was incredibly fast and incredibly precise, like even more so than Covenant and Covenant. I mean, Covenant slip space is just broken, but Forerunners had it way more broken, so they were able to take ships that were you know thousands and thousands of light years away and just bring them right back to the Maythrilan upon realizing there's a massive problem. Uh, and pretty much the Forerunners made it their mission to destroy the rings as fast as possible before they fired. Uh, they failed. Unfortunate. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was mad unfortunate. Uh, pretty much when the rings fired, many of them, a lot of them, were caught in the blast. And you know, big, big problem there, uh, of course. But by the time that they returned, they saw the Maythrillin had really... Like, it was not okay. It was really broken. Uh, this was only noted because uh, Bornstellar decided to return to the capital in order to try to repair the domain. And that's when we run into Abaddon, uh, who was like, You, you messed up my house. <laughs> you. Uh, and that was, that was a good time, even though Abaddon basically uh, eviscerated one of them by just looking at them, but uh, the remaining Forerunners after all of that basically exiled themselves, Uh, and this is exactly where the Great Journey comes from, by the way. The exile had been referred to as the Great Journey. Oh. And so to quote Halopedia specifically here, this exile had also been referred to as a Great Journey by Bortsteller who wished to bear record of the forerunner civilization failures and their ultimate sac- sacrifice for future generations the forerunners left the milky way journeying to another galaxy where they spread their numbers thin with the plan of allowing their species to die out in time at least born stellar Chantagreen green gave up advanced to- technology in favor of a simple primitive lifestyle so the remaining forerunners just let themselves die and this great journey was pretty much just hey don't do what we did and the Covenant looked at it and said, yo, we should do that. <laughs> we, should, we should make a religion out of this. You can make a religion out of this. No, don't. <laughs> no, don't. Uh, because basically, they, they the Covenant had, we'll go into this next week, because next week's topic is the Covenant. Um,
2: yeah.
1: Were, they looked at the Great Journey, and they misinterpreted it terribly, thinking that this Great Journey was pretty much like a rapture moment. But instead, it's, no, this will just kill you. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. So with all of that out of the way, uh, what remains of the Forerunners is mostly just the complex machinery they left behind, the installations, uh, the shield worlds, just random bits that prove that they were there, as well as whatever robotic or... Uh, non-living things they left behind so Huragok, the monitors Sentinels anything that wasn't living is all just running fine and I mean especially with Halo rings that have monitors, those rings are thriving because monitors do a great job of keeping those things in in check and Huragok are the best thing they ever created yeah, they're like little flying puppies, it's adorable
2: (laughs) more like armadillos honestly
1: yeah, and they also understand things to such a insane degree
2: What'd you say, Shane? So flying armadillos? Is that what you just compared the hurragot to? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Have you not looked at their face with their little eyes, little tongue coming out, and not <laughs> thought armadillo? No. Alright, well.
0: <laughs> Austin, has that no, someone validate me here. I, Austin,
1: I, have you? I, I've never looked at them and thought armadillo, no. James, have you?
0: Um I've more thought like snail. But honestly, no. I can kind of snail. see. I can see. A snail. I see snail. Yeah. When I
2: see armadillo.
1: <laughs> I
0: kind of like <laughs> saw a view. Like put a snail, snail. and a, a snake together.
2: <laughs> but it's it's not, okay. All right.
1: All right, that's fine. Because they got like not... a snake head, but like a snail body. Yeah. Uh. Huh. So yeah. Eventually, <laughs> we get to we get to their return because eventually, of course, that happened. Uh, humans had understood quite a bit about the Winners ever since. Their disappearance, especially because of the actions of Oni, who went out of their way to understand every single bit of the galaxy's history to the best of their their ability. Uh, Finally, th- something good they did. No, no, no. It was at the sacrifice of human life. Sometimes. Oh. Um, <laughs> depends on what human life that matters. Well, I mean, we'll talk about that later. So. <laughs> Uh, Because, I mean, if we're going to really talk about it, almost the entirety of the Spartan 3 program. But uh, basically later, the Didact came back. Yay! But the Didact still hates humans. Oh, no! (laughs) Uh, Because he still blamed them for a lot of what happened. Uh, He never listened to them when he said that they... He had wholeheartedly believed that they used the Flood as an excuse to wipe out their civilizations. And they didn't actually care about what was happening. He had even heard the the excuse before about you know what why didn't they contact us like what if they couldn't the librarian told him this she was like what if they didn't they didn't have time to react what if they didn't have time to tell us and he's like they should have or uh, it wouldn't matter that wasn't their intention they just wanted to wipe us out like that was often the position he took so he still hated humanity even after the the krypton was opened so he sees Master Chief and he's like ah they're still here I'm so glad I get to kill them myself um (laughs) (laughs) so he allied with the covenant uh, the storm covenant because he wanted to bolster his forces and he had his Prometheans and stuff um and so he grabbed his composer that was still there there was much more composers back then but he only has this one left uh and his goal was to digitize humanity because that's what you do. Uh, and so... Eventually, Master Chief was able to defeat him... Uh, through him... Apparently what it was... Which makes sense because of how the weaponry wo- works... But the way that that composer was firing... Was it was working through a slipspace portal... Um, like through the ship to Earth... Which was really interesting. Uh, so when the Forerunner... When the Forerunner... When Didact falls he falls into that thing and it's not a composer per se. He's falling into, he's falling into a slip space portal and that, uh, and he by falling subsequently destroys the composer and the didact ship. Um, so after all that happens, uh, you know, Requiem gets destroyed by jewel and Dama. Uh, and then eventually Cortana learns a couple things about, uh, the, the, domain which is um, uh, it it worked it was fine it was okay nothing bad happened um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now as for the didact um, we're going to go into him a little bit later because his story goes much farther than just what the forerunners had believed what his beliefs were where the class systems worked his personal story is one of the most interesting out of the entirety of the forerunner. so he deserves his own episode to himself that will come much later but uh, just to kind of give where he's at now Uh, Last that we had seen him, it was somewhere around, I believe, 25, 57. um, And the Didact got imprisoned in the domain. Uh, So this is much worse than a a composer or uh, cryptum imprisonment. We've never seen anyone get imprisoned in the domain before. So we don't even know exactly what that means. (laughs) Uh, But most interesting is this year sometime soon actually I think in a couple months uh, the highly highly uh, highly proven to be good I would say is the best way to put it writer Kelly Gay who has written so many Halo novels up to this point is bringing back the didact in her own novel so the didact is apparently going to either I'm going to assume he's going to escape the domain somehow I wouldn't mind him coming back in the games I'm not gonna lie so (laughs) I'm, I'm cool with this
2: but yeah, it would be cool with that too. That was one thing that you were saying before was uh, we're not getting any like consistent bad guys. Having someone come back at this point would probably be a
1: good thing. It would. Um, but we're gonna be talking more about that uh, in the in the after show. So if you want to get into that, you can feel free to head over to our Patreon, and you can get the exclusive after-show content there. For now, though, that's pretty much the Forerunners in in a nutshell. Uh, we will be touching on them a little bit more in future episodes as footnotes for everything else. Uh, is there anything else you guys would like to add? Forerunners are not based. No, they're the exact opposite sometimes. Yeah. yeah spoiled children were like <laughs> it. Librarian was <laughs> the most grown of all of them. She understood so much that they didn't, but... That's just the way that it is. Thank you very much for you guys for for listening, and uh, we hope that you can join us for the after show after this. And if you can't, then we hope to see you next week where we'll be talking about the Coveys, the Covenant, the strange conglomeration of alien species that definitely worked out in the end. The idiots. The
2: idiots.
1: Right. We'll see you all whoa, next time. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Triggered. And we thank you all for listening.
0: This library was produced and published by JumperScape Audio. Funding was provided by our fantastic patrons on Patreon. Big thanks to Dark Salad 42 and Connor Clark. If you enjoy the show and wish to support JumperScape's future projects or get some sweet benefits, join our Patreon at patreon.com/jumperscape or become part of this truly special community at discord.gg/jumperscape. Thank you for your listenership and we hope you enjoyed.